and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Asset Television, brought to you by our great friends over at Ditch Witch. Outdoors Dan here. Aaron Martin is right alongside. And Aaron, how do you feel about being on Wild TV in Canada? I love it. I love it. You know, yeah. I, I, I really do. And we're actually, we're going to be filming there in Canada for next season. So uh, very, very exciting. And uh, actually, we just had, we also did an interview with an upcoming new publication that'll be out next month with Bassman Magazine in Canada. So. Oh, there you go. And hey, folks, don't forget Versus Network, January through June. So you get to see uh, Aaron's smiling, lovely face all the way through <laughs> June of 2008. I got to tell you, I'm really excited about this because uh, we're going to be talking about Kentucky Lake. And, you know, every summer we spend our summers there. Matter of fact, where my great grandfather's farm is, is underneath Kentucky Lake right, uh, right now. Yep, under the water. Under the water. So it's uh, it's kind of partial to me on this one. I, I like it. Sydney Hill, what a great lady. So you had fun? I had a blast. And, uh, you know, you always hear a lot about the ledge fishing, and, and uh, we got to experience at its best. All right, chunker action coming up here, and we're not talking about Aaron. It's all right here on the edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Experience the revolution. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Whoa, look at that son gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Joshua is Dan here along with Aaron Martin. And, you know, Aaron, I am looking forward to some downtime in June and July. I'm going to head back down to uh, Lake of the Ozarks, and I'm going to go up to Mark Twain, which is in northern Missouri. And so I'm going to be fishing a lot of swim baits this year, but I'm going to go ahead and get some update my spinner bait selection. And any suggestions for me? You know, it used to be that, that spinner baits, if, if you had a white and chartreuse, as long as you had that color, didn't really matter. You know, you just throw your traditional uh, willow leaf dual blades or, you know, Colorado. Now I think uh, just because of the amount of baits that they're seeing and plus the advancements in some of those baits, I do think that picking or selecting a good spinnerbait, all of them are not created equal. And if you remember back on podcast number 34, we did an interview with True Track Lures, uh, who actually he is just an, an artist when it comes to not only his crankbaits but also his spinnerbaits. And I always go back to that because I do like their product um, from that standpoint because of the fact that you know it, it throws – very, very nicely, but it also it has that lighter wire, so it's going to generate more vibration. The other thing that comes off is from the color. You know, when you look at, uh, especially in clear water situations, that color combination on the skirt, but then also the head design, I think that is just going to give you the, the added edge. So, you know, really go out there and, and look at some different spinner baits, throw them, try them. And pay attention to what's going on, but but definitely look at uh, look at color as a primary factor of that, and also blade design. And if you have a chance, go back and listen to podcast thirty four. That'll definitely get you pointed in the right direction. Yeah, I hate listening to us. So. <laughs> uh, you know, I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to get a chartreuse, and then I'm going to get uh, with a Colorado and a Willow, mm-hmm. and then I'm also going to use the same blades on a black, mm-hmm. and then a, oh, all white, and then I'll just probably just change the trailer. Right. Yeah, and and that is a great basic way to start and especially if you're you're new to throwing a spinnerbait what those colors that you just named as well as the blade combination you know one of the things that we like to do here is keeping it simple from there then you can start tweaking and going into some different color varieties and 
and really start to fine-tune it. Well, I know Mark Twain's usually staying water, and I think any lake that you get during the summer in the Midwest, unless it's a spring-fed lake, you're pretty much going to look at some staying water, aren't you? Yeah, um, until, you know, once once you get, you know, towards more into August where the rain really subsides, you don't have anything really running into it. Uh, some of those lakes, you know, on these highland reservoirs, they'll clear up. You know, now down in the south, obviously, those are always going to be stained water. But, you know, Dan, up, up north of you in Iowa, where you're at, in Minnesota, and you get into a lot of clear water, as well as out west. You know, you look at Lake Mead out in, and also in California, you know, those type of areas you've got to really be able to identify spinnerbaits that, that you can take anywhere uh, and use across the country. And that is not overwhelming is what it sounds. Yeah, well, if you get into like the Rainy River up in Lake of the Woods, mm-hmm. uh, which is a tremendous fishery, it's kind of like a pea stain. It's 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 always got a stain to it. Kind of like some off, what we'd call like off-color or something. Yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm telling you, it's a tremendous fishery for walleye and northern, but you can actually get into some bassins to the River the river Rainy there, and uh, Rainy River, rather. And um, it's it just, uh, it's amazing to me how different the uh, the baits that react in state are clear. And boy, those fish really do notice the difference. Yeah, and, you know, that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to is that here, uh, and we're, we will be actually filming on Lake Vermilion this year. And, yeah. uh, you know, really being able to get up in the northern waters. And, you know, the thing that excites me most about that, too, is I can promise you we will be throwing a spinnerbait uh, up there, but just, what you can catch, you know, like you said, when you've got walleye and northerns and some of those other species, they'll eat a spinnerbait just like a bass. Oh, I guarantee you'll catch you'll catch some northerns on your spinners. It's, yeah. it's, we always do every year. It's amazing. Hey, I tell you what, we have got a great show, folks. Uh, we've already talked about spinnerbaits and the colors, and we're going to talk with Cindy Hill next when we, after a commercial break. And if you love Kentucky Lake, you need to stay tuned for this because it's going to be absolutely a wonderful interview. So why don't we just go ahead and do that, Aaron? Let's just go ahead and go to commercial, and we'll come back with it. Sounds great. All right, folks, we'll be right back on the edge right after this commercial in Cindy Hill. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140. And best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare KeelGuard. Thanks, MegaWare KeelGuard. Welcome back to The Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. Welcome back to The Edge. And joining us today is Legend Boat's WBT Pro Angler, Cindy Hill. Cindy, thanks for being part of The Edge. Oh, thank you for calling me. I, I'm so glad to be with you. Well, uh, I had so much fun with speaking with you. <laughs> we did have a good time, didn't we? Yeah, we did. And, and that's what it's about, you know, is just getting out and having having a good time. And, you know, we're, we're certainly going to spend some time. I've got, uh, we've got a great show on one of my favorite things to talk about, and that's ledge fishing. But before we, we transition into that, what uh, what has been going on with you lately? Oh, my gosh, Aaron. I have been running wide open. <laughs> Went from Lake Hamilton for the Women's Bassmaster Championship and worked boat shows since January the 2nd. And then I started preparing for the Women's Bassmaster Champion, which was on Lake Kiwi. And we had a 30-day off limit, which hurt. Yeah. That hurt. It's kind of hard to get out there practice. and see what's going on, you know, when you can't be on yeah. the water, isn't it? 
Yeah, one day of practice. And I mean, in South Carolina, they had the yearly record breaking snow and ice. I mean, I had guides that were freezing. I had reels that were freezing. I was just knocking it off, and it was nicking my line. I had to put new line on. I mean, it was brutal. That adds brutal. a whole different mental challenge to to the sport of angling, doesn't yeah. it, when you have things like that? and you think on. that, oh, fishing's easy. I love to have a fishing job, you know, just fish sure. for a living. Well, here you go. <laughs> this is a prime, prime thing for that. Yeah. So now you have another event that's coming up not too long. Is that next week that you leave for that? Um, I go to April. Mm-hmm. First of April, I leave for Louisville, Texas, mm-hmm. which is I'm ready for some warm weather. Yeah, yeah. So you think yeah. uh, post-spawn going on down there? Is that what you're anticipating? Uh, maybe pre-spawn. Maybe They've pre-spawn. They've a lot of cold weather. Yeah. So, I mean, it may, may be pre-spawn. Yeah, these weather patterns this year have certainly added, uh, you know, some, some things that we're not used to that are, are going to deal some interesting challenges, I think. Absolutely. So. And then the Louisville could be pre-spawn before they're I mean, they couldn't even be ready to go on bed yet. Yeah. So I, the water was down, and now it's up, so... You know, what are the fish doing? Yeah, yeah. Just find out when you get there and, and uh, fish the moment, right? That's right. So, you know, uh, we had the opportunity to spend some time together in June uh, down on Kentucky Lake. And, Didn't we uh, have fun? Oh, that, that, was a, that was a blast, you know. And, and before we get into that, why don't you, you know, kind of describe as far as what anglers can expect, uh, you know, when visiting that area? Oh, it, it doesn't matter if it's Kentucky Lake. I mean, you can take it. Take that to your home lake. If you have a point running out and you can use a, a big jig and a football head jig and drop shot, I mean, drag that off of it. I mean, you're you're set. Yeah. You can take this anywhere in the United States. Well, and, and the beautiful thing about that, you know, is, is this ledge fishing that we're talking about. Um, like you said, there's not only so many places to, to apply that, but once you kind of understand what to look for, um, you know, it it can be very, very productive. You know, not only uh, in numbers, positive, but also in, right. in quality of fish. If, if you have a, a, a big point running out to the river channel or river channel bend is the best. Yeah. Then those fish are going to stay. They're going to feed right there. Right. So well, you in, be in, there at the right time. And, and Cindy, one of the challenges that was going on, you know, with being in there in June with that summer pattern, obviously fishing, you know, that deeper structure, that weather, you know, it's one of those deals where you wake up, it's nice and cool in the morning, you know, then the sun gets up and it gets kind of balmy. But we actually, we got ran off the lake a day. You remember that? With, with the lightning storm. We suffered that day. We were, if you look at the, the video really close, we were sweating. Yeah. I mean, it was hot, probably 100 degrees. And every afternoon was a thunderstorm and we had to, Go seek shelter. Yeah. For the lightning. I mean, it was. Yeah, that's sad. one thing I don't do is lightning. No, no. I am not doing lightning. No. You know, talking about river ledges, um, mm-hmm. is is that a pattern that you only look to in the summertime? No, I'm big to take that all over the United States. I like finding those ledges and finding those drops to where those fish are going to come up and feed out of the river channel mm-hmm. and then just sit there and fish a jig with a pocket crawl, whatever, a big worm, mm-hmm. and catch those fish, yeah. the big ones. Sure, sure. Now, you know, perhaps you could describe kind of what your definition of a, of a river ledge uh, is and, and kind of describe what was actually a, what we were targeting uh, there on Kentucky Lake. If you'll look at your topo map, the actual paper map, 
and then you look at your topo lines on your GPS, you'll see that the river channels, they have points running out to them. And if they're facing the down current side, that's the one you'll hit. Sure. So whenever you say looking at the topo lines, are are you looking for something to where you see kind of that underwater point? Are you looking for lines that are very close together that offer a a steep bank or a steeper slope to them? It doesn't have to be a steep drop, but it has to be a drop that runs to the old river channel Mm -hmm. before they flooded the lake. And that may be a, a step down channel or that may be a bluff channel. Mm -hmm. So if you see a channel drop on a river, old river channel, that's the one you want to pinpoint. Okay, so once you have identified this on your map, um, let's say perhaps it's, you know, not just Kentucky Lake, but but any lake that you're going to, then do you go and and do you look at that closer with your electronics and try and get a a better understanding, or are you normally just going to go there and fish it? The electronics are your eyes under the water. I mean, you see everything there is to see that you've seen on that map. You go to it, you pinpoint it, you work it all the way out to the river channel. That's your eyes under the water. And then are you looking for the presence of of bait fish on your electronics? Oh, yeah. Anytime there's bait fish, there's going to be big fish ready to school and chomp down and have dinner. That's a buffet. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's funny you bring that up because I, I now remember... Uh, one of those those river channels that we had, were fishing on, we had actually marked some bait fish, and right. uh, I think I think I don't know if it was you or me, but anyway, one of us reached down and grabbed a DD twenty two and threw oh, yeah. out onto that, you know, onto the shallow part and actually drew it back out into the deeper water, uh, and then we turned around and threw it back out in the deeper water and actually oh. brought it up the face of the ledge and actually had right. success doing that. Right. If you have a point running out to the river. I mean, you can throw a jig, you can throw a big 10-inch worm, but if you can hit that top of that little ridge running out mm-hmm. with the DD-22, hey, you're going to smack them. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Hey, uh, I know that word. That's exactly smack right. Them. What about as far as, you know, how critical is boat positioning? Do you want to be throwing out into the deeper water, out and actually into the channel, bringing it up the ledge, or do you want to set your boat in the deeper water and throwing up to the shallow brink, working You want to be able to reach the top of that end of the point. Okay. If the end of the point is in 40 foot, you want to sit out deep and reach the top of that point that runs out to the river channel. And, you know, normally, I, I know my personal experience and certainly our experience that day was that we found if you found one fish, chances are you were going to find kind of a, a pot of fishing. Yeah, fish. yeah, they they school together. They're they're mass. They're sure. mean. Sure. I mean, they want to kill anything that's right there. Now, what about do those type of ledges normally hold both smallmouth, largemouth, and then also to throw in the third, you know, what? the spotted bass? If you get a lot of wind on that point, you're going to have a, a mass production of spotted bass. Mm-hmm. So I mean. Largemouth are going to live there. Spotted bass are going to be there when it's windy. And it's the first thing I go to, regardless of where I am. As far as the, you know, making, let's say we're, we're talking about throwing those, those bigger baits, like the jig, the, the football jig, or, mm-hmm. you know, the 10-inch power worm. Mm-hmm. How important is it to stay in contact, you know, with the bottom? If you don't have the right equipment as far as rod and reel, 
and monofilament line or fluorocarbon, which I use fluorocarbon mm-hmm. whenever I'm, I want the feel. Right. So I want to know if I came over a rock or if something's not quite right. I'm going to set the hook. If in doubt, do it. Jerk. Jerks are free, That's right? right? That's right. Well, and, and, and the funny thing is that, you know, that type of fishing, uh, man, I mean, we were making, and thank goodness, you know, throwing those art reels, they cast forever, but the the amount of, of space that we were fishing on those longer points, you know, literally, you could cast, make a longest cast as what you possibly could, and any given time on that point, there were so many different pods of fish that were stacked on there, you right. never knew when you were going to get a bite. That's when the ledge steps down to where it has little a shelf and a shelf and a shelf, and you never knew if it was going to be loaded up with smallmouth, largemouth, or spots. It, right. it didn't matter. Yeah, because those fish could actually, especially you know that time of year with those that those violent afternoon uh, conditions where those thunderstorms would come in, you know those those fish could be in transition, you know, in response to what the thunder and the lightning. Uh, how that has impacted maybe pressure changes, uh, but you never know which one of those exact ledges of those stair steps that they might be on. Yeah, but Aaron, it was so hot over <laughs> there. I mean, those fish had to go deep. They did. So you looked at the deepest point sticking out the furthest and going to the river channel. Right. What What about as far as some of those channels? They had uh, some structure on them, meaning maybe some brush, some washed-in timber, oh, you know, things like that. Those boys do their homework. I mean, they have put out brush on the very end of those points, and, I mean, they load up in it. You've got to find, you've got to use your electronics and find those brush piles on the end of the point. And if it's a worm or whatever you want to pull through it, you've got to come through it. DD-22, you've got to come through it. If it's not good enough, you DD-22, you go to a, a big football head dig. Right, something that you can actually get down in there and actually get right. up close and, and personal with the bass and let that are it holding. sit there. Yeah. I mean, they can't stand it. You know, one of the things that you often hear talked about, especially on Kentucky Lake, is, is kind of the stroking of the jig or, you know, this reactionary type bite with, with a football jig of, of maybe popping it. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Well, sometimes I've found that they don't want it stroked. Stroking means you jerk it as high as you can and let it slack line, and then you jerk it again and you slack line and... All of a sudden, it loads up. You feel heavy, and you set the hook. Sometimes they want that reaction bite, and sometimes they want it drug across the bottom. So you just kind of throw your jig out there, and Carolina rig, just kind of pulling it towards you and bumping the bottom, and something's not right. Right. Uh, it loads up. So in our in our closing minute, you know, pertaining to that is if. When you find one of the kind of the, the ledges that you described, you know, and obviously mm-hmm. you've used your electronics, you know that there's bass holding on there. Perhaps if you throw it out there and let's say you're dragging it, you may make an, some other cast to where you're actually popping it or stroking it off right. the bottom to see if they want that you, type of got You've got to determine. That's the main thing of your job is you've got to determine do they want it stroked? Do they want it drugged? Is it a worm? Is it a jig? What do they want, DD-22? What do they want? Hey, I had a blast with you. Well, Cindy, I did too. And, you know, one of the things that I always remember is that uh, when you had gotten hung up 
in the brush. Oh, yeah. About Wasn't that what funny? we were talking about. Yeah, you lowered when that. And I got <laughs> hung up and was running the pug knocker down there, and it's like, I got one, Susie. Yeah. I mean, that just I goes like, to show no! you. That's amazing. But, yeah, it was a blast. I think, you know, so much appreciate uh, you spending the day on the water with us and also taking time out, you know, for today. But we are out of time. Any closing uh, thoughts or, or remarks Absolutely. before we get yes. out of here? Yes. When I was at the Classic, the women's Bassmaster was at the Classic. I was so impressed with all the young girls that came up and asked for my autograph. And I was signing, hey, I was signing Ditchwitch <laughs> koozies that y'all sent me. And they loved it. But we're my, the bug is out. Yeah. Women and girls, it don't matter what age you are or what sex you are, when they're having a blast. That's right. I was impressed. It's about the experience, you know. It is. So take your child out. Absolutely. You know, and we have that Ask the Pro section obviously on the website, and I'm sure you would love to hear from anyone that would have a question or a comment oh, yeah. to get that sent to you. I do. So. And I've got a fishing you know, I've got a website, but I mean they can go to yeah. Ask the Pro from from Ditch Switch and they can uh, ask me the question. I'll be glad to answer it and I'll be glad to help them. Tell them whatever I know, but I take this all over the United States. And it certainly shows, you know, Cindy, and I had a blast in the boat with you that day. Yeah, it was uh, fun. So thanks so much, and, uh, you know, we'll look forward to next time on The Edge. I got to tell you, you made me homesick. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's your old stomping grounds, isn't it? Well, I mean, home is Missouri, but I, it's just, uh, you know, I live in Iowa now, but I grew up in St. Louis, and, uh, you know, every every year, though, like I said, our family was from Kentucky, and Kentucky Dam Village, we down there, land between the lakes, and between Kentucky Lake and Barkley Lake, and you get up there in the, the Big Bear Creek area and stuff like that. I mean, just a tremendous fishery in Kentucky Lake. And, you know, I love you. I know you love largemouth, but I, I don't think there's a better fighting fish out there than a smallmouth. Oh, no question. And, you know, the unfortunately, we didn't never got real strong on the largemouth bite. We had kind of a equal split there. But the thing that is so exciting about, you know, that area, you have obviously Kentucky Lake, which is, you know, enormous. You have plenty of water to be able to fish, but you also have Barkley right there, uh, which even though they are connected by the canal, they, they do fish a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And I think Cindy did a great job. You know, you always hear about the uh, ledges on Kentucky Lake. And you, for those of you who haven't been on Kentucky Lake, it, it kind of has an east and a west bank. You know, the west is more the shallow, traditionally thought of as, as kind of targeting the largemouth on the, on the uh, west bank. The east bank, a little bit different, going to be a little more bluffy, more rocks, you know, traditionally smallmouth over there. But I thought she did a great job of being able to pinpoint uh, what to look for on those ledges, talking about how those underwater points, how those fish will move up and down out of the main channel, uh, why they're relating to, to those points in that underwater structure, and then also targeting those, you know, with the jigs, the soft plastics, those type of things. Yeah, I tell you, if you got anything resembling a shiner, you're going to catch fish yeah. in Kentucky Lake. Yeah, no question. It's amazing. Did you, uh, did you see the catfish guys out there? Um, you know, we did see a few. Uh, we did see a few, and there was just a lot of people just fishing for, you know, numerous things. Uh, saw some crappie fishermen, uh, obviously people going after the catfish. I even saw, you know, some other bass fishermen out there. So Yeah, you get those guys up there on the dam, right up, right up there at the dam fishing, and they're after those big catfish. It's amazing. They pull some whoppers out of that. Yeah, well, I, I can believe it because, I mean, you know, you can just look at that with the the way that that lake sets up, I mean, there's got to be some just tremendous... Well, look at the bass that it produces. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, it's producing that type of, of bass 
both smallmouth and largemouth. I mean, you know the catfish and the subspecies are going to do very well. Yeah. What kind of line were you using? Um, actually, was throwing on uh, fluorocarbon, um, you know, and again, because we were fishing deeper with, uh, with the jig and, and the soft plastics predominantly located on the bottom, you know, that water was, it was a little clearer than, than what we had anticipated. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm pretty much a fluorocarbon braid guy uh, with the exception of top water, and um, so I, I, just, I just felt that that was the best choice. Well, that sounds good to me. Sensitivity, and also you have to worry—you don't have to worry about them seeing the line. Exactly. Exactly. You know. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. It was neat to see what's going on in Kentucky. We need to take a break. When we come back, it's time for the Inside Edge, and we're going to have a new uh, gentleman on here—the uh, Pound Boss Magazine owner, Bob Lusk. We're going to learn all about pond fishing. Is that right, here? That is right, Pond Boss uh, Bob Lusk. It's <laughs> and and for all those small water fisheries, and for people that have access to them. Uh, he's going to give us some great stuff. Well, there you go. You enjoyed the Inside Edge, and Aaron and I'll be right back. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right, welcome back to The Edge, and I've got to say, our next guest is uh, something that is very near and dear to my heart because this is what I grew up uh, doing, and that is fishing smaller waters, uh, lakes, streams, ponds, uh, and that is Bob Lusk. Bob, thanks so much for being part of The Edge. Wow, thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> well, you know, we have in, uh, anticipated this for a long time, and, and really that's the whole reason of why we designated uh, both the television uh, por- portion of the television program as well as obviously here on The Edge, the podcast, because I, I just think it's something... Uh, that that anglers really uh, want to be able to put their arms around. And before we get into some of the habitat management for smaller waters and those type of things, perhaps you could give us a little uh, rundown on your long list of accolades uh, that you've developed over the years. <laughs> well, I tell you, I'm very, very fortunate and blessed. I, when I was 14 years old, Aaron, I knew that I wanted to make a living messing with fish. And by golly, now I get to do it. Here I am, uh, 29 years after graduating from college and in my 29th year as a professional fisheries biologist, and I have the great fortune to be able to travel the entire nation helping people design, build, stock, manage, take care of private lakes and ponds, and it's a blast. And then I get to write about it. Yeah. I have, have a little magazine called Pond Boss, and it comes out every other month, and I get to write about it then and then go out and practice it in the field. It's a ball. Well, and I'm sure just the comments that you get from how you you change people's lives of, of, of your work and, and what your efforts have, have uh, actually produced, not only in the, the terms of size, but also quantity and just seeing, you know, the smiling faces on numerous people all over the United States. You know, everywhere I go, it's an event. And it's, it's something about water that people are just attracted to it. And when they get to have the opportunity to be better stewards of their own water on their own property, it's, it's, it's just it's so much fun to be able to take them by the hand and teach them the principles that they that they need to know to be able to make it a better pond, better water, cleaner water, bigger fish, more fish, and the whole gamut. And you know, I think that uh, Bob is something that, as as a nation, I guess that 
you used a key term, stewards, and, and understanding that, that water is, is very important. You know, we're seeing times now with some of these drought conditions and things like that, uh, water is definitely a natural resource. Let me tell you something. Water is the most important resource we've got. You know, a gallon of gas costs way too much money. Right. But if you take a look at let's go to the store and buy a bottle of water. We're paying $8 a gallon for water that we drink. Yeah. And what's amazing, there's a limited amount of water, and it's up to us to take care of it. We recycle it over and over and over. And one of the things I tell people is we never get to keep it. We just borrow it. So while you borrow it, let's take care of it. Exactly, exactly. And speaking of which, you know, let's, let's transcend into kind of the habitat management. And, you know, our earlier conversations leading up to this and preparing for this interview, you know, you brought up some just some tremendous things. And I know during the show, one of the the keys that uh, aspects that you focused on was perhaps that, you know, on these wa- this water system, whether it be a small pond or a big pond, you know, kind of the livestock versus fish battle. And, and how do you deal with that? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's common for somebody that has a farm or a ranch that's a working livestock ranch. Well, gosh, part of the reason they have the water is so the livestock can drink. But they also want to make it a good fishing pond. Well, that's not hard to do. You know, you create the habitat for the fishery, and you supply the water to the livestock. One of the things I like to do is have people fence the pond off from the livestock, except for just an area that they don't mind the livestock coming in and waiting, you know, so cattle can get a drink or horse can get, horses can get a drink. You know, it's not hard to do that. It's really easy to fence it off and then have maybe 10% of the pond available to the, to the livestock, and then the rest of it's available to the fish. And then, you know, when we design habitat into a pond, we're thinking about the different types of fish that we're going to want. You know, small ponds, two or three acres or smaller, people either like to have largemouth bass with bluegill or like to have catfish or some other kinds of sunfish. So one of the things we try to do is build in the kind of habitat that's conducive for those fish to thrive and then keep the cattle away so they don't tromp it down, you know, when they come to get a drink. Whenever you develop that, that kind of that amount of, of space that the cattle need versus the fish. Once you're beyond that, when you get into specifically into the habitat design, you're not just designing, you know, habitat to grow large bass. Part of that equation is for some of the, the smaller fish as well, right? Absolutely. You know, it takes about 10 pounds of bait fish for a largemouth bass to gain a pound. So we better be in the bait fish production business. In order to be able to do that, we've got to have places where small fish can hide and congregate and feed and to loaf. You know, habitat is the key component to the success of any natural ecosystem, especially in water, because water is confining. You know, the animals live there. they got to stay there. Beyond the shoreline, you know, a deer or birds, they can go elsewhere. But inside that pond, it's really, really important that we make sure that we have areas that fish can spawn. And we have, uh, like with... If we're going to grow largemouth bass, for example, Aaron, and we know that they're going to eat a lot of food, then that means we need to supply much more habitat to supply the young fish places to live and places to hide than we do for the bass. So not only do we concern ourselves with the bass, we concern ourselves with what they eat. And, you know, with that, that goes all the way down the food chain to all the way down to the insects like you were telling me earlier. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's really interesting. I didn't really give a lot of thought to insects until just eight or ten years ago when uh, West Nile became an issue. So I started studying, you know, what what are some things we can do with a pond? Because standing water is where mosquitoes originate. 
And it struck me, one of the greatest predators to mosquitoes are dragonflies. So now there's not a pond or a lake that I design where I don't get some thought to be able to have some rocky areas where dragonfly larvae can live. And, you know, one of the side benefits is you, you grow a bunch of insects that feed the part of the food chain that feeds the fish, that feeds the bigger fish, that feeds the biggest fish. So we give thought all the way from the plants, you know, areas of fairly shallow water where we want plants, to areas that we want to focus in on insects, to areas that we want to focus in on congregating fish in, in all their spawning areas. So with that, is it, it sounds to me like it's it's fairly detailed process, but I know for a fact that you can also come into existing waters and uh, apply those same principles. Absolutely, we do. As a matter of fact, when someone calls our office and wants to talk about a piece of land they've just bought or a pond that they have that they want to improve, the very, very first thing I do is evaluate the habitat for that pond. Now, I'll always ask the landowner, you know, what are your goals and objectives? What is our target? What are we trying to do? You know, in your mind's eye, what do you see five or six years down the road? And if I know what we, where we want to go, then we come in and evaluate where they are. The very first thing I do is figure out what we can do to improve the existing habitat that they've got to help them get where they want. Then we start working with the fish. You know, and once that happens, let's say now you've got you know, you've got the the design in place, you've implemented that, things are rocking and rolling. Is it to where you just more or less let it go, or is it a constant management process uh, beyond that? You know, nature nature always tries to seek its own balance. That doesn't mean it's the balance we want, but, for example, let's take a pond. Aaron, uh, let's say you've got a five-acre pond, and you want to, you go out there, you just bought the land, and you're catching a bunch of small bass 10 to 12 inches long and you know that's really not what you want so we go in and we make sure that you've got all the habitat for the different creatures then we get into kind of an animal husbandry management thing you know it's just like at at the farm you can only have so many cattle per acre same thing with the fish so what we do then is once we evaluate the habitat then we evaluate the food chain so after the habitat the next step in pond management with regards to fish is to be sure the proper food chain exists because, you know, just like we said, you start off with the plants and then the insects and then the small fish. We want to be sure that we've got all those elements. If we don't have all those elements, then we need to add them. Sometimes the, 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 the idea of a balanced fishery, especially with bass and bluegill, is that you have different size ranges of the different species of fish, and they're all healthy. So you never catch a skinny bass, for example. And if it's not that way, there's some corrective things we do. The next step is to be sure we've got the right genetics. And then the fourth step in pond management with the fishery is the harvest plan. You know, there's so much debate about catch and release and harvesting fish and slot limits. One of the things that we try to focus in on with the pond is we look at each one of those as a tool. Catch and release is, is a tool, and it sure plays a role in pond management just like it does in the public fishing lake. It plays a different role. And so we figure, try to figure out which one of those, because you can look at a pond as a garden. You plant it, you nurture it, you maybe even feed the fish, maybe even fertilize the water, depending on what part of the nation you live in. You're going to grow something. And at some point, there's going to come a time to harvest. So we try to help those landowners figure out what it is that needs to be harvested and then help them, encourage them to do that. Well, and you know, in our last closing minute, Bob, is one of the other things that I think is overlooked or overshadowed is once you become involved, meaning the landowner or the person who is is, uh, participating in the management of that 
that smaller body of water, it really takes your understanding of angling to a whole different level that can be applied to whatever body of water you go to. Absolutely true. You know, because here's, the, here's one thing that drives that home to me. 90% of the fish are going to live in about 10% of the pond. So your job as the pond steward slash angler is to be able to know and understand how your fish live and where they live. So not only can you go have fun catching those fish, but also when it comes time to be able to read the fishery, you'll know where you can go to take some of those fish and harvest them. Bob, that's great information. Unfortunately, we are out of time. But for our listeners, how can they get in touch with uh, your organization, find out more information, potentially get your magazine, those type of things? Do you have uh, some information on that? You bet. Then go to pondboss.com or call my office, 800-687-6075. Well, Bob, thanks again for your time, and I can promise you we will have you back on here to get more in detail on uh, really just scratching the surface that we did today. So thanks so much for your time. Aaron, thank you. Let's do it again, buddy. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's Tackle System by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Welcome back to The Edge. All right. Uh, what a great deal. Bob Luff sounds like a nice guy. The Pound Boss magazine. Pound, <laughs> Pound Boss. <laughs> Pound? P-O-N-D. Pond. Yeah, so I said Pound Boss. <laughs> okay. Pond. Pond. You say it your way, I'll say it my way. There you go. Thank you. Pond Boss. All right. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think I said? Pound? Pound. I did say Pound. Okay. Well, but that, think... was a, that was a, that was yeah, a Pound worth of information. You remark you gave me about saying, I'm not even huh? going to say it now, about a, a buoy. Yeah, buoy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Remember how you gave me trouble? I couldn't let the, the pound boss slip by. It's not pound, Aaron. It's, it's pond. pond. I know. Yeah, quit saying it wrong. All right. <laughs> On Bob, thank you. Right that on. was a great deal. That was a great interview. The Pond Boss. I hope you get a chance to check out that magazine, especially if you're a landowner. I think you'll get some great tips out of that. Is it a monthly? You know, that's a great question. I need to find that out. I think so. I think it is a monthly, but I, yeah. I can't be for sure. Well, if it's not a monthly, it should be at least a quarterly. Yeah, I know for a fact it's at least a quarterly. Yeah, so there you go. And that'll cover your all. That'll cover four seasons for you. Yep. So good stuff. I saw a thing on, I uh, was watching TV the other day, and down in uh, to the, the upper Midwest and the western states because of the uh, the heat, that a lot of people are putting paddle wheel systems in their ponds just to keep the oxygen levels up. Did yeah. you know that? Well, what, has hap- what happens is... Uh, Yes, I did know that there's a couple things that's out on the market to help with that. But, you know, when you have a, when the water, surface water is really, really hot, and then let's say the, the bottom falls out of the temperature, you can have it to where instantaneous that lake will turn over and it'll kill all the fish, right. you know, in the in the lake. And so things like that, I mean, if you have a vested interest in a in a smaller body of water, I would definitely suggest having that in, the, in there. Oh, I thought it was kind of cool. And, you know, with the water agitation like that, you know there's going to be food around it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I'd be throwing my bait up in there. <laughs> yes, you would. I could see I, it. Now. I would. I would be ashamed to admit it. Yeah, until you cut the paddle wheel and it yanks you in. Yeah, I'm a little better than that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hey, uh, I understand that you're going to be in Dallas-Fort Worth, huh? Yeah, yeah. I get to go. Uh, I'm going to be there April 3rd through the 6th uh, with the truck and the boat, handing out uh, a lot of free stuff and 
the new Bass Edge Tour 2008 t-shirts. We're going to be well, giving congratulations those Congratulations to everyone out at Dallas and Fort Worth, because I'll never see one. Yes, you will. I'll never get any. Well, actually, we're going to give them away on the website, too. Uh, Are we? Yeah, free. Well, and there you go, folks. All of the uh, all of the locations, kind of like a concert-style t-shirt with all the anglers' names, the locations to where we went. And uh, so, yep, we're going to be giving yeah, those out free. Are we on there with the podcast? Uh, no, we didn't make a cut on that one. Yeah, see, I told you. We're like, well, you're on there. I'm, I'm just like the unwanted child. Uh, no, 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 no. Huh? Next meeting, I'm going to gripe. Gonna All right, play. everybody give Dan some love. Yeah, I need love. Okay. Hey, uh, you know what? That's going to be pretty neat. And, uh, those are free? Those are free. Yep. Wow. Yep, but you go, you have to, unless you you actually show up in person at the event to get one, Otherwise, you've got to sign up uh, through the giveaways, the product giveaways. So the listener email questions and stuff like that. Exactly. They'll be getting some tour T-shirts through that. That's right. And there you go. Hey, you know spawn. what I'm most excited about? The spawn. Uh, that too. But, <laughs> uh, am I getting a raise? You didn't tell me, <laughs> hey, buddy. Yeah, yeah, you're getting. I'm, I'm most excited about that. Giving uh, me more money. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, that's what I always say about you, Aaron. You're a charitable man. I am a charitable man. What are you excited man. about? It's not tax deductible. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm excited about next week's podcast because we have had. I've I've been really wanting to put, you know, and you and I have spent a lot of time talking about this. Just the amount of emails that we have for. Uh, anglers whom possibly are fishing from the shoreline or small watercraft, maybe like a, a float uh, tube or you know a, a canoe, which is really what you and I grew up doing. Yeah. Our entire show uh, next week is going to be devoted to uh, fishing in, that, in those type of situations as far as how can you break down a body of water, whether it be large or small, privately owned, public, does not matter. What steps can you do to, uh, you know, when you're limited to walking by foot? Okay. Hey, that's a good deal. I know I get a lot of calls on the radio show about that, too. And You know, I had one guy call a couple of weeks ago. This was pretty funny. He was complaining about why do people have to, when they have a boat, still come in and throw from the shore? Get, throw yeah, actually, the I was, uh, remember I was on, you were, you were on the show with On KMOX with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah you were, and, and I'm going, you know, that's kind of being a little selfish there, guy. But, you know, there's plenty of water out there. And he goes, well, they're scaring the fish. And I guarantee you. Unless somebody is throwing terminal tackle around in their boat or they got a stereo cranked up to the max, a person on the shore has a worse time scaring fish than someone on a boat. Well, and, and that's if the second part when you look at, at next week's uh, upcoming, and I don't want to give it all away, but Jay yeah. McNamara is coming on uh, to where you've got to remove all of that stuff. You, you can't think about what everybody else is doing or mm -hmm. your limitations. You can only focus on what you can control, and that's how he's going to tie in the mental edge. Uh, you know, to next week's episode. So, again, very, very exciting episode. Yeah, I think we all just need to learn how to share. I agree. Why yeah, can't we all go. just get along? Yeah, there you go. Hey, the spawn is uh, going on, and it's happened in the southern one-third of the United States. Uh, you know, in the Midwest, it's still not here yet. In the north, it's still not, because there's plenty of ice still in the water. Uh, how do you target those fish, Aaron, for spawning in, say, like uh, Missouri up throughout the West and up to uh, Minnesota? Well, you know, I, I think it, again, comes back to just understanding the seasonal conditions. And regardless of where you're at, I, I think you have to look at, first, where is your base out of? Meaning if you are in the deep south, then obviously you know that based upon water temperature, moon phases, those type of things, the spawn's going to happen at a certain time. However, if your home base is north, maybe like yourself up in northern Iowa or into Minnesota, you know it's going to happen a lot later. But the thing that you understand is that during those water, the spring, there's a lot of violent weather changes that are taking place. The other thing is that you have really three subcategories within that is going to be pre-spawn, spawn, and then post-spawn. 
But the beauty of it is high concentrations of fish and the pre-spawn on those staging areas, they move in to get ready to spawn, and then what they actually do is come out in reverse, go back out to those same staging areas before they scatter into their summer patterns. Um, so really just understanding those time frames and those seasonal conditions of when that's going to happen, you can really go anywhere within the United States you know, and just apply, uh, apply those tactics. Sure. Great, 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 great tip. Hey, folks, if you want to get into uh, not only a listener email portion of the show or you want to just register for prizes, all you need to do is just go to prostaff at bassedge.com. Shoot us an email with that, prostaff at bassedge.com, and we'll answer it here on the show, on the podcast, on the website, or in the newsletter. you got three really good ways of getting on board with the Bass Edge community. And there's if a lot want, of questions, actually, that's already been answered, too, on the website, so make sure you check those out in the answers. Yeah, and don't you library those or archive them? Yeah, they're, they're all there. They have the responses. Some of them have multiple responses. I know Alton Jones, Boyd Duckett, you know, Mike Webb, Sean Hernke, a lot of, Dave Woolack. There's a lot of guys that have already responded uh, you know, to those questions. Yeah, so if you're getting ready to fish a tournament and you want some extra help or tips, there's a great source for you right there at bestedge.com. Also, if you're getting the uh, podcast off iTunes, please keep uh, giving us ratings, uh, good or bad. We want an honest opinion. But thanks to all the positive response that we've had, and uh, Aaron and I will try and do whatever we can to make sure that we're hitting all the areas of the country. Also, if you're not signed up for the newsletter, just go to BassEdge.com. It's absolutely free, and we'll do it there. Who's on TV next week? Pete Ponds. Pete Ponds. Yep, Pete Ponds. No, that's not Pounds. No, not Pounds. Ponds. Ponds. We've had a lot of Ponds. Yeah. Pete. I like Pete. He's a good guy. He is a good guy. Anything else, sir, before we get out of no, here? No, I mean, we've went way over, but you know what? It's all fun and games, so I love talking about it. Unfortunately, we got to hit it. All right, let's get out of here, folks. We'll see you next week right here on The Edge. Bass Edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make the Edge audio program possible. Ditch Witch, Mother's Waxes and Polishes, V&W Trailer Hitches, Megaware Keel Guard, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Ardent, Rule the Water, Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Superstart Batteries, and the Clarks Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.